Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our Midtown Midweek podcast, where we take what we learned on Sunday and further the conversation. With me is Pastor Ant Frederick from our Two Notch Church. What's up, Ant? What's up, man? Glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Yeah, excited about this. We are currently recording this on Thursday afternoon, right after Ant preached for us. And so, Ant, just wanted to hear from you. What were some things that you wanted to say, but weren't able to? Yeah. So first off, I, I love to read verse nine and 10 because I want to get into uh, verse 10 specifically since I didn't get to it in the sermon. So let me read just verse nine and 10. Uh, Paul writes, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. And then verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So his point in both of those verses is about what women should use to adorn themselves. And the word adorn means to, to beautify, to make oneself beautiful. And one of the common things that I see in the Bible, uh, specifically in texts that refer to women, is the concept of beauty. I mean, I believe when we look at uh, Genesis, early in the book of Genesis, when after, right after Eve is created, Adam sees her and he bursts out into this poem, into this, this song, because he, he's now seeing this woman for the first time. He, he's seeing her beauty. Um, and there's other passages about how women should adorn themselves as well. And so I think it's, um, it's interesting. It's a different way to look at it by saying the things that make you beautiful is actually not what can be seen with the physical eyes as far as your appearance, uh, but more specifically with good works, which he said, he says, which is proper for women who profess godliness. So the, when, as far as I understand it, the call for women is as you're considering how to be beautiful, it's more about who you are internally and how you live that out through good works than it is by how you actually dress, which is so opposite of, of the culture and everything that we often hear. And one of the things that I think is, is important for us as a church, I think for men and women, is to, when we encourage our sisters in the faith, uh, that we make sure we're doing a good job of encouraging um, things about who we are internally or who the women, I should say, women are internally as people um, and not the superficial flattery. Like I, I believe when the Bible uses the word flattery, it's, a, it's talking about saying good things about people that don't really have a lot of depth to them, but it's just, Hey, you look nice. or that looks nice or, or whatever. That, that seems more like flattery to me, but actually encouraging, um, women in beauty based on what I see here seems to be more talking about who they actually are and the good works that come out of uh, the fact that they are godly women. Both genders reflect different attributes of who God is. And we recognize right. God is beautiful we understand God is invisible. He's unseen to us. And yet we recognize through his works, through his attributes of who he is, we can ascribe beauty to God. Likewise for women are able to do that as well. Which, which makes sense then with how Paul says that in, in verse 10, but he says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. So for a woman who is like God, then they will understand that the deepest truest beauty cannot be seen with the physical eyes as far as external beauty goes, uh, but rather through uh, who we are, who women are, I should say, uh, is how true beauty is actually seen and expressed. Yeah, they're able to tap into the spiritual beauty as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. What else didn't make the cut in the sermon? So one thing that I wanted to get into 
that I wanted to be able to talk about, but I, I wasn't able to fit it in is uh, the scripture in Romans chapter 12 that calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. Like, so the, the men in Ephesus that Paul is addressing in verse eight and the women that he's addressing in, in verse nine and verse 10, they are trying to outdo each other, but they're trying to outdo each other through these arguments and through these quarrels or through external beauty and fashion and the way uh, they're able to make themselves look externally. And they're, they're, they're just taking this, this, um, this call to outdo in the, wrong, in the wrong direction. The call is we outdo each other by honoring one another. So they were trying to outdo one another by pushing each other down and then um, elevating themselves above the other. But what Paul actually says we are to do as a church is we outdo each other in honoring others, in putting others up, in elevating others in our eyes, counting them to be more significant um, than ourselves, if I use Paul's language in Philippians chapter 2. But to me, that, that was a, a very interesting thing to see how we often will try to outdo each other in a way that pushes us up and others down. But as believers, we do the exact opposite. We tr I try to outdo you in honoring you and helping you to see the dignity and worth and value that you have, uh, even if it means I don't always get my way or I'm not the one that's front and center. Yeah. Competition inherently isn't an evil thing, but using competition in the right way, which is in outdoing and uh, striving for holiness towards uh, your brothers and sisters, spurring them on so that yeah. they can be more like Jesus. Yeah. What are some practical ways as a pastor you've seen folks outdo one another? That's a good question. Sorry, I about said somebody's name and I don't know if I should do that. Um, the setup team at Midtown Two Notch is the crew that gets there seven in the morning, primarily made up of, of volunteers. Every Sunday, uh, our service doesn't start till 11. They're there at seven in the morning tired, sleepy. Sometimes, you know, when we were doing this in the winter, it was extremely cold. Uh, so you people coming in, pulling off the layers, going right to the back storage room there and setting everything up as a means of allowing us to be in a space for corporate worship that is as free of distraction as we can possibly make it. And for the people who do that consistently over and over again, and we have some who've done it who not asking for a week off, right? Not asking so for someone to take their place or when are, when are we going to be able to have enough people for them to be able to, be able to rotate? Um, and they, they just enjoy serving. I feel like they're, they're outdoing us, man. <laughs> like they're, they're setting everything up for us every single week, volunteering. I mean, they're there before most of the church is awake. I mean, we'll start till 11. And, uh, you know, for some of us, it's a struggle uh, to arrive by 11.15, right? Mm -hmm. And they're there at seven o'clock in the morning on Sundays. I feel like they're outdoing uh, our congregation. It's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful example to see. And one of the things that I, I love about the point that you made uh, about outdoing one another is that we, we, we're not to bury or bury that drive that we have. Like he, he's not saying, okay, you got this competitive drive, just like bury it, put it away and, and do away with it. No, he's saying, no, use that channel that like mm -hmm. that that energy you got like that that desire to be great that you have no use that use it use it to serve use it to take the low road so others can take the high road use it to take the bad seat so others can take uh, the seat of more honor and esteem and I, I believe that's what our setup team does on a weekend week out basis uh and for me i i like I like calling them out. Like I like bringing attention to the ones who don't bring attention to themselves for the service that they, uh, that they provide for us week in uh, and week out. So they're, they're a huge blessing to our church. And I think they're often forgotten. 
And I think many people on that setup team legitimately don't care. And I think it's it's beautiful and godly and Christ-like. Yeah. Shout out to all of our volunteers who work behind the scenes yeah. to across all our family of churches. Absolutely, and man. People get really weird. If I encourage someone or if I honor them, then maybe that might puff them up. So I'm just going to be mm. quiet. And I'm sure they're getting encouraged somewhere else. So I'm sure it's fine. Mm. Probably not. Right. And honestly, I don't know of anyone who ever says, hey, that's enough encouragement. I'm right. good, man. It's like, no, right. as followers of Jesus, like you can't ever get enough good Jesus-centered encouragement. Can I get on the soapbox real quick? Do it. I think we forget the spiritual battle that we're in, that every single one of us is receiving from the enemy, as, as the Bible calls him, lies that would lead us away from godliness, right? And so we all need to consistently be receiving encouragement to live as God has called us to, because the stakes are the stakes are too high. So one of the things that I've been trying to remind myself of is to let no encouragement go unspoken because you really don't know where that person is at spiritually. Even if they show up every week with a smile on their face and like they're excited to do it, like you know that the enemy would desire for them to not be serving in the way that they are. So in, in my opinion, the, the stakes are high, man. There, there's so much that needs to be done. It's so easy to get apathetic. It's so easy to feel like we're burnt out from serving uh, in a particular way. And, and you know, if someone's in a position to serve, it's because there's a need to some degree in that position. And so the, the stakes are higher than I think we realize. I think if we realize where some of the people around us actually are, I think we'd be quicker to encourage um, them to continue on in the good works that they're doing. Uh, I think the way it impacted me the most um, didn't make it into the sermon because I didn't think it was the main point of the sermon and not and definitely not the theme or the thread of the sermon. Uh, and that was a part about when he said that the men should lift up holy hands. So in, in the Bible, uh, Psalm chapter 24 talks about us having clean hands before God. And oftentimes this, uh, the cleaning or purifying of one's hands was symbolic of the uh, cleaning and purifying of, of maybe oneself or, or at least one's actions before God. And so the posture uh, of prayer that, that Paul calls us to is, of course, as I said before, honoring him as being higher than us, as being greater than us, as I said in the sermon. Uh, but also we come to him remembering that we are the set apart people of God called to live in a way that is set apart. Like he has made us holy. He has set us apart, enabling us and freeing us to now live as those who are set apart. So one of the things I was considering throwing in the sermon, um, specifically talking to uh, the brothers is, you know, are we seeing ourselves as a holy people and also living that out, practically speaking, by practicing repentance on a consistent day in and day out basis, uh, confessing our sins to the Lord, asking God to, to transform us and change us and make us more like him, confessing our sins to others and asking others to pray for us as well, like to live out that holiness that he has declared upon us is to live a life of repentance, right? It's not to be, it, there's, there's no expectation from Paul, uh, especially as we see him, he just called himself the, the chief of sinners or the foremost of sinners. There's no expectation from him that we're going to be perfect. But obviously the call is to walk in daily uh, repentance, knowing that it is a grace gift to be able to um, pursue, to practically pursue the holiness that has already been placed upon us by our God. So that was one thing that, that hit me when I was going through and just made me ask myself the question, even as a pastor, like, are you leading out as a man, as a pastor in holiness by 
Uh, even when it's, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's painful to repent, um, practicing repentance and pursuing holiness was something that I really took away and um, had to sit and meditate on for a little bit. I love the biblical picture Paul gives of lifting up holy hands because that's something I know at our downtown church, uh, I, that's something I would love to see more of is men mm-hmm. lifting up their hands to worship. Absolutely. And there's this idea of, well, I don't want to raise up my hands because people might look at me funny mm-hmm. or it's not my most authentic, true self. I don't feel Mm. in the moment like Mm. lifting up my hands, but there's this sense of when I'm doing it, I'm taking the eyes off of me because I'm so tuned into the presence of God. And that really does shatter the pride in you that wants to Mm -hmm. argue and debate and put the spotlight on yourself. Right. And even as I was thinking about the sermon, I was that guy that liked to debate people a lot and get in those quarrels. Me too. But if you saw me on a Sunday morning, I was not lifting up my hands. I had my <laughs> arms crossed and thinking, well, I'll just right. kind of mutter the words to myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is something to the things you do, do things to you, as Absolutely. they say. As we say. That's right. And <laughs> when you do raise your hands, it has an effect on you to really melt away that pride in your heart. It does, man. People, I think oftentimes we don't realize how integrated we are as beings that our physical self legitimately affects uh, our heart and what we feel and our emotions. Um, I remember, so I've taken a few public speaking courses. um, And one of the things that I learned is that the posture that someone has actually affects their emotional state. Like some, some coaches um, who teach people how to speak in public and speak before a crowd would say, take a power pose before you go and speak because it'll cause you to feel more confident. If you sit in a way that's more reserved, you're going to start to, to feel that. So what we do with our bodies 100% affects what we feel, where our emotions are. Uh, and on top of that, soapbox number two for the day, thanks, Jake, <laughs> is we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? A complete, completely integrated within our full selves, we are to bring to God in in corporate worship. So obviously uh, we want to worship God with our minds. And I'm just specifically talking about in times of um, maybe worship singing or praying or whatever it is. We want to worship God with our minds, thinking about what's true about him. We want to worship him with our hearts, where our affections lie. We want to to love him um, with with everything that we have. We We want our affections for him to grow. But also we see in the Old Testament, so many times the people of God expressing that love to him through some type of a physical action, kneeling down, raising hands uh, up to God. Like these, these are things that I believe help cultivate a heart of love for God and to express uh, our love for him. Like, like our physical strength, you, you, the movement of our bodies is a very important act of worship. I actually believe um, that the Hebrew word um, that is most frequently used for worship in the Old Testament either means to bow down or to lay prostrate. Like it's it's interpreted worship because that's what it's really all about. But that the literal essence of the word is actually a physical act, right? That shows where our heart posture actually is. And so I'm really big on uh, calling people to engage your body uh, in any type of uh, worship, whether it's you're praying uh, at your house, maybe kneel down or or whenever we get to get back together and sing, maybe have your hands in the air. Like it, it actually 
has an impact and has an effect on us. And I believe on the feel of the whole room. I believe, um, I know for Midtown Two Nights, one of the things that I often say is uh, engaging your full self in corporate worship is actually actually an apologetic to those who come and worship with us. Because it actually reveals that how much this matters to us when we're fully engaged versus if we're versus if we're just standing there uh, completely frozen when we participate, it, it actually shows off to those in the room that we actually care about this. And this matters a lot to us. So soapbox over. Thanks, Jake. No, and it is beautiful that even in the New Testament, we are given these physical reminders mm-hmm. of who God is. So baptism, it's mm-hmm. not just, hey, if you pl- placed your faith in Jesus, just stand in front of a church and say, I love Jesus now. And then you right. walk off. No, you right. get dunked with your body to symbolize what has happened to you when we participate in the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Mm -hmm. It is not just nod your head if you still agree that Jesus is alive. No, we go up there and we Mm -hmm. uh, grab the bread, we drink the juice uh, because we are physical beings. We want to live out our theology through our bodies because it even points us to the fact that one day we will be in our renewed bodies Mm. standing before God, worshiping him and theology will become fully manifest and fully physical lived out in our bodies. God God so cares about our physical bodies uh, that he made sure it was clear over and over in the scriptures that no, we'll have bodies in eternity, right? We're not just this disembodied spirit that's going to be floating around. Uh Like we will actually have bodies. He cares about what we do with our bodies. What we do with our bodies is 100% a means of worshiping him. I love that. Yeah. And that goes back to first Timothy too. So with the posture of competition, no, with your bodies, men and women alike, Mm -hmm. do this accordingly to get your mind into a place to focus on Jesus. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. There was one more thing I wanted to, to throw in there that this posture of humility that I, I guess I was preaching on without using the word a whole lot is a direct result of just seeing God in the right way. Like it's not, humility is not something that you just muster up by trying harder and harder to be humble, but it's, it's a result of seeing God for who he actually is and then seeing yourself rightly. Uh, humility is just seeing reality appropriately when you actually know who God is and who you are in comparison to him. And I think it's important, man. I, our culture is such a do this, accomplish this, go make this happen that I think we feel like we're not actually pursuing holiness uh, when we're not out actually doing something. But sometimes just just seeing things clearly, aligning our thoughts, aligning our views with God's thoughts and and God's accurate perspective is a wonderful way also to pursue holiness because you're going to live out your worldview, what you believe to be true about yourself, what you believe to be true about the world, what you believe to be true about God will have a huge effect and a huge impact um, on how you live. So I just want to encourage us to, to meditate, and uh, my dad, who's a pastor, used to call it uh, chew on uh, to just 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 sit with and enjoy um, the goodness of God, the majesty of God, how glorious he actually is, how much greater he is than everyone else. And I think that that breeds humility when we view that. And we also um, in response view how much even though we've been made holy in him, how much we are not like him, I believe, breeds uh, humility in our hearts, which is. 
a beautiful thing, a needed thing for us as uh, followers of God. Yeah, it's good. Thanks, Ant, for being on this podcast. Thank you so much for preaching. We were really blessed by it. Absolutely. My pleasure.